Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON at checkout and you'll get 20% off your next order. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A wild weekend in Sacramento and our first taste of this new NBA schedule. We're breaking the Suns back-to-back against the Kings down on today's Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network and I am your host, Brendan Clean. You can follow our show on Twitter and on Instagram at Locked On PHX Suns. You can follow me on Twitter and at the Locker Room app at Brendan Clean 14. Happy to be with you on this Monday morning. A fun weekend, a very strange weekend of Suns basketball. A one-and-one road trip to Northern California. First, a 106-103 loss to the Kings, followed by on Sunday, a 116-100 victory in which we saw the Suns clean a lot of stuff up, especially in the second half. Let's get into all of it first. The Saturday game, uh, a game that I think admittedly Monty Williams, Suns players, even Eddie Johnson on the broadcast, I think we all kind of noticed it. It was a game where I think they walked in thinking that they um, could win. They just went into it thinking that their success against the Mavs on Wednesday, their talent, they're a better team than the Kings, right? They are a better team than the Kings, and I think uh, maybe that impacted the level of energy that they brought we saw the Kings grab 15 offensive rebounds we saw the Suns uh, turn the ball over 11 times especially uh, highlighted by Devin Booker's seven turnovers and we saw the Kings get 62 points in the paint in that one Um, a game that Monty Williams said uh, came that the team just came out in what he called a trot that's not how you start games on the road he said but to me the physicality was one thing but the, for the first time in a long, long time with this group, we got outworked. When a team has 15 offensive rebounds, that's a sign that you're just getting outworked. Um, so that was that one. There was an offensive rebound by Rashawn Holmes with just under a minute to go. An and one finish by Rashawn Holmes, who uh, I would say haunts the Suns, but really haunts just about everybody. Uh, just a, a, a tenacious player that if you're not tuned into he's going to do damage on the glass and with his athleticism and his energy as we saw time and again in the 2018-19 season on the sun side so he finishes that the suns drop a play with about 41 or so seconds left if i'm remembering correctly a sideline out of bounds play after a timeout where jay crowder gets the ball at like the extended elbow basically hands it off to book who's coming down a pin kind of like a pin down dribble handoff toward the corner And he catches the ball in a very weird spot with not much space around him in that corner. Just a really, really high level of difficulty on that one, even for a a clutch shot maker like Devin Booker has come to be. Just awkward angle, not a lot of space to jump, and a a shot that did not go in. And it was basically the Suns' last chance at winning the game. So they fell again, 106-103. That took us to Sunday. A game where going in, you know, of course you do not want to change 
things because of one bad result, right? Uh, Even Chris Paul and Jay Crowder both were kind of in agreement after the game on Saturday that despite the loss, despite the lack of energy, despite the mistakes, the the kind of lack of buy-in to the system a little bit on offense, especially that they, they didn't even name any of that when they were both asked kind of what the emphasis would be going into the next game. They basically said recover physically. It's a back-to-back. we got to take care of things. And yes, they're vets, so maybe their mind is going to be there a little bit more generally, but uh, they, you know, they didn't panic, right? And so we didn't see the team panic. I did like what Jay Crowder said in terms of transition defense. Um, he kind of flipped the answer back when I asked him about it, and, and he said, you know, when it comes to transition defense, it's A, a lot of communication, which is what he said about the offensive um miscues and missed shots as well but with the transition defense it's also about making and taking good shots on offense because you don't want to let the team even get out in transition to where you're going to have to try to stop them obviously it's hard to stop teams on the fast break and it's hard to stop teams with guys like Marvin Bagley Buddy Heald and especially De'Aaron Fox so I thought it was interesting to hear him say that and what we saw in addition to that physical recovery that the vets were uh, championing there was the Suns just made more shots on Sunday night, which is where, uh, when I am coming to you guys shortly after some post-game Zoom calls with these guys, I will give you some of that audio momentarily, but we just saw the Suns make more shots tonight in the second game of the back-to-back in their victory. They were 14 of 35 from three. That's a clean 40% after making just one quarter of their threes in the first game. Uh, we saw Cam Johnson make three of four. Mikhail Bridges make four of eight. Langston Galloway come back to his usual high level of performance as a scorer. Two of three from three, including another four-point play from the corner after one, after one against Dallas. So the Suns just made those shots. The Kings didn't get out in transition as much. They didn't have the chance to. They didn't get on the offensive glass, which, you know, a lot of that's just effort, hustle, and checking the big men of Sacramento Uh, more than they did. I mean, that's pretty plain and simple. And uh, Sacramento only had three offensive rebounds in this one. So we saw a third quarter run by the Suns, a 17 to five run in the third quarter where their offense was just finally clicking in a way that we just had not seen it do uh, really at all this season. Yes, they beat Dallas on opening night, but that was a little bit of a slobber knocker of a game. It was not a clean, efficient performance by the Suns that night either. We saw in that third quarter campaign. It was a it was a campaign. Langston Galloway, Devin Booker, Cam Johnson, Frank Kaminsky lineup. That five man unit led a run that led Payne and Johnson to each finish with a plus twenty five and a plus twenty six respectively. They were the the energy sparks for this game that was just so so needed. Payne did it on both ends, which was especially nice to see. He actually fouled out of this game, but. Uh, that's a testament to the the hustle and the physicality that he was bringing. He actually drew two, I'll say two and a half fouls on De'Aaron Fox, two charges, and then another charge that was turned uh, turned around on a challenge by Luke Walton in there. Uh, we saw Cam Johnson finally get his shot to go down a little bit. Not quite as many threes, I think, as I feel like he could have taken that he had available to him, open or slightly open, that he passed up either giving the ball up or driving when it maybe wasn't um, necessary to drive but look he made seven of nine shots got to the free throw line four times a perfectly fine game and hyper efficient game from can johnson so that unit 
which notably did not include Javon Carter, who went into the season, at least in my opinion, being the sixth man uh, behind Johnson, at least the, the the lead guard, the third guard, you know, first one off the bench, and he's down in minutes right now. So it was Payne, Galloway, Booker, Johnson, Kaminsky that led that run and turned things around for the Suns. 17 to five run after the score was tied at 73, and uh, the Suns would not look back from there. So let's check out some of the the other positives from this slate of games. Really, what made the Suns win? That was a synopsis of the games, of course, but really what's going right for this team uh, because it was a fairly successful road trip, all things considered. Uh, A blowout win and a narrow loss, you'll take it early in the season. But first, I want to tell you guys about the first sponsor of today's show, which is betonline.ag. Who is ready for some football? Uh, I'm kind of ready for football to go away, but that's because I'm a Cardinals fan and I root for a team that makes me miserable. But (laughs) that's not true for everybody. I mean, some of you like good teams. That must be pretty fun. But some of you are also probably ready to make some money on this stuff. We have college football heading into bowl season with some big matchups right around the corner. We also have the NFL regular season wrapping up. We have a big Sunday night football matchup between Washington and uh, New York, if I'm remembering correctly, next week for the NFC East title. Bet on that one. Bet on the college football bowl games. There's only one place to do it. Only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And that, again, is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code Locked On, all one word, for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. And don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Guys, these... Bet online seems to really like the Suns. So if you want to make the experience of watching even more enjoyable, make a little money, they 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 covered by far tonight. 16-point win. They were only favored by, I think, three. So make it more fun. The Suns are going to be good. Throw a little bit of money down. Use that promo code locked on. Get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. We are back here recapping the Suns' weekend slate against the Sacramento Kings. Make sure you check out Locked on Bets every single morning. Quick, clean show with your boy Q and Lee Sterling, the handicapper extraordinaire, getting you ready for all the best deals of the day. They have levels one through five on how sure they are that there's going to be money in your pocket at the end of the day. Listen to, even if you're not a better, check the show out. It's awesome. It's one of the best new things we're doing on the Locked on Network. And I swear to you, that it has great stuff. It has insight on games you would never even think to look into because you don't know anything about college football, bowl games, all the way at the bottom of the schedule. But Lee Sterling does, your boy Q does, and they will get you ready. All right, let's check things out here. What worked for the Suns across these two games? I'm going to hit a few positives, and then we have to get into some negatives, guys. I mean, that that's the reality. It was... Uh, uh, A weekend that showed how high the Suns' floor is, but also uh, the work they have to put in here to get to their ceiling. What worked in in these games to me was, I mean, first of all, defensively, I think things are looking pretty good. Uh, The Kings shot just uh, 47.4% from the field. That's pretty good. Turned the ball over 15 times on Sunday night. Most impressively, 
in the first in the first one, which the, the Kings actually won, uh, they shot only five of twenty three from three, which is pretty impressive for a team that has Buddy Heald, Darren Fox, who's developed as a shooter, Harrison Barnes, and uh, you know Corey Joseph, Tyrese Halbert. It's a pretty good shooting team, and they were able to keep him in check. Um, I, I didn't feel like the Kings got incredible shots. I mean, they were pretty bad in the half court both of these games. If if I remember right, I checked after the first one, and the, the Kings are only scoring 76.3 points per 100 possessions in the half court, prorated over you know 100 possessions after the first game. Terrible. I mean, that's that's like you would never, ever have a team do that over the course of a season. So the Suns were pretty, pretty solid on defense in that first one. And then they held them to only 100 in the first in the second game. And Monty Williams noted how in the second game, the Kings only had one 30 point quarter, which I, I hadn't noticed. But yeah, they scored 33 in the first quarter and then no more than 25 in any quarter the rest of the way. So I mean, keeping an NBA team these days to 100 points, it's good. Uh, I thought Overall, the perimeter defense was probably stronger than the interior defense. It's not to say that DeAndre Ayton in particular was a bad, you know, had a bad weekend defensively. Um, I have to say, I didn't notice him as much in the second game because the Kings attack was mostly coming from the outside. You had Bagley taking a lot of jumpers and then Fox and Heald combining for 28 shots when no one outside of those three guys even took more than, than 10 individually. Um, but in the first game, I actually thought Aiton played pretty decently on defense when, you know, defending the pick and roll, defending drives, defending just kind of as a helper. Uh, he did get a little bit taken advantage of by guys like Hassan Whiteside and Marvin Bagley on the glass, which we already talked about. Um, the problem in the first one, a lot of the time, was Damian Jones defensively, who is now, it looks like, out of the rotation. Didn't get in the game until the last minute. Frank Kaminsky played 19 minutes, who we know is not by any stretch of the imagination a lockdown rim-protecting center, but is good enough with his length and size and strength and just awareness compared to Jones that he's a better option right now. And we'll see Dario Saric make an impact just by his ability to rotate and get in the way, uh, take take physical contact and, and just kind of deter shots, even though obviously he's not much of an athlete either. So perimeter defense, all things considered, was the strength here. Campaign, who we talked about already drawing those charges. Mikhail Bridges, who now has six blocks through three games, at least one in every contest so far. Just an incredible um, ability to add rim protection and, and weak side help defense like that to his game so far. Um, and we're seeing a lot of the impact of that early, early help scheme that the Suns have mastered. And honestly, to me, and not mastered, let's not get carried away, that they that helped them a lot last year, make up for some of their deficiencies in terms of they're still, even with Paul and Crowder, you know, top to bottom on this roster, they're not an elite athletic team. This is not like the Clippers or the Lakers or the Bucks who just have length and athleticism up and down their roster defensively. So they're going to... They're going to continue to lean into that. They're going to have a guy at the nail, which is like that free throw line, you know, where that, you know where the nail is. They're going to have a guy there off the pick and roll, off the weak side wing, if the offense obliges and has a guy stationed at the wing where they can help off, every, you know, as often as they can. And they're going to do things like that. They're going to be willing to switch to make life easier on, on some of their other players. And, you know, so... 
that all seems to be working, and uh, the impact of Mikhail Bridges, of campaign, of Javon Carter on occasion, of Jay Crowder is showing. So defensively, great stuff. The other thing I have to say is Devin Booker from the, the second game to the third game of the season, obviously that's from Saturday to Sunday of the Kings games, uh, he cut down on those turnovers. And I wanted to give you guys, I asked him about it. I want to give you guys a taste of what Booker said. Uh, I think you know his his answer was was a little bit you know nice to hear in terms of accountability for a star player that it was clear that he was making mistakes over the first couple of games and he needed to get it in check so he checked out the film cut back on some stuff and then had a little bit of insight as to just overall what can get better uh, in terms of the cohesion of the offense book you mentioned uh the turnovers and Monty said yesterday that you know when when those happen for you he knows it's always with a good intention in mind and I know you're really probably hard on yourself with that stuff too so what was kind of your thought process going into this one to cut back on some of those mistakes uh just simply stop being so careless with it um and that's fine you know I'm I'm, I'm honest with myself um I watch film and I see you know the spots that I can improve on um but at the same time you know, we still have to figure out some of our spacing. We have a lot, like I said, we had a short, short summer, short time, you know, to play with each other. And, you know, today was already a step forward in, in those regards. And, you know, we're going to continue to do that. So Booker, you know, I, I was interested to hear him there talk about the spacing overall. That's something that I think, you know, lay people like me even, and, and a lot of you guys probably don't necessarily, um, wouldn't think about that as being the number one, uh, deal when it comes to the turnovers. Um, it you know I think it's fair to say that things are a little cramped. I think a lot of that to me though also comes from the way that this team was force feeding DeAndre Ayton and trying to run offense through him, which is just something they really haven't done much at all since they drafted the guy. And so to see them do it so aggressively, especially in these two Kings games, was very surprising, and it just didn't work which you know I'm not going to say that it was a failure because it didn't work or that it was the wrong decision I guess because it didn't work but um, the reality is that and I was going back and forth a little on Twitter with Mike V Hill of the Timeline podcast who came on our show in the preseason or the and during training camp um, in terms of you know is it inherently against the Suns philosophy on offense that 0.5 system that Monty Williams has worked so hard to to install is, is it against the, the principles there just to post up Aiton so much? And Twitter kind of sucks to have a, a philosophical debate like that, I think. So <laughs> I don't even know if we got to the bottom of anything between Mike and I. But I would say that my opinion still is that the offense can function through the post. We saw it with Dario Saric, right, in the bubble. We've seen it. Um, you know, we've seen isolations be successful with Devin Booker. So there's ways where this offense can sort of spring players into advantageous positions where they can isolate and have it be okay. We've seen DeAndre Ayton in these two games make passes uh, when he gets doubled or when uh, the defense doesn't allow him to score. He had over the course of these two games, six assists combined and was making the right pass more often than not. So I don't think that's the problem, but we did see too many times where the only course of action within a possession on offense was 
let's get the big man a post up. And that is antithetical to how the Suns want to run offense. To not have anything going on when the ball's in Aiton's hands, whether that's, you know, guys just reading and reacting and screening for one another to get to get, you know, just bodies moving in the half court to get players open to to make the defense have to think and and react and respond to them. Uh, we just didn't see enough of that when the ball got into Aiton's hands. And so if it's not going to be a quick move into a shot for Aiton or a quick pass back out, then then it's just not going to work. And we, we saw that time and again, even early in this one. I mean, I went into halftime of this win on Sunday night thinking the Suns were going to lose. And it was a lot because of Aiton. So I I know that a lot of you guys are rooting for the guy. And trust me, like... It's more fun if as many players in the NBA pan out in terms of their development as possible. I by no means am rooting for DeAndre Ayton to not be be a good player, to not perform well, to not develop at the things we know he needs to get better at. Uh, but the reality is the guy, you know, he just has so many puzzling decisions that he makes over the course of a game and is not um, improving in terms of aggressiveness and awareness at the pace that he needs to to be a part of this offense in the way that they clearly want him to be. So we saw Monty stick with Frank Kaminsky for quite a long time in that second half. You know, he said he closed with Frank because the score was out of reach, but in most of that fourth quarter, Frank was on the floor over Aiton. And I think if if Frank's going to be a better connector and score within the offense and just take shots when they're there and and be more of a threat, then I don't think it's it's going to be unlikely. Same goes for Dario Saric. I don't think it's going to be out of the realm of possibility that we'll see Monty go to other guys and and try to kind of work those uh, messaging tactics against Aiton a little bit because the goal of every game this year for the whole time is going to be to win. That was the tr- that was true last year, but it's going to be even more guerrilla warfare out there this time when it comes to coaching decisions and heavy minutes for guys. We saw Mikhail play 36, Book play 35 tonight, uh, 38 for Book on Saturday. So it's just going to be like that this year. And Aiton making the mistakes that he's made is just not going to be good enough. So I know that was another negative. We got a little bit of positives, a little bit of negatives, but um, I think overall the offense popping in the third quarter, Booker cutting down on those turnovers, and then uh, Aiton going through it a little bit. Those are my biggest sort of what I'm going to remember from this stretch of games over the weekend here. Uh, Let's take another quick break and then we'll do some of the segments again, provided I can remember them. I need to actually write these down um, to to do them every night, Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what we can pull out here and uh, we'll do that on the other side. First though, I want to tell you about the second sponsor of today's show, the best tasting protein bar anywhere. Built Bar. The improved Built Bar is even more delicious than before, and in addition to the 12 original flavors like toffee almond, peanut butter brownie, or mint brownie, there's six new ones like cookies and cream, carrot cake. The fruit flavors, I tell you guys all the time, are just as good as the chocolate, and they're all covered in 100% chocolate on the outside with soft, easy-to-chew filling. So whatever the flavor is, it's just going to change what it tastes like, but they're all delicious and they're all super, super smooth going down, not chalky bricks like the competitors and some of these other 
nasty, to be comp- completely honest, protein bars try to get you to buy. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious person or anyone trying to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're perfect for just about every diet because they are low-calorie, low-sugar, as well as high-protein and high-fiber. Take, for instance, the peanut butter brownie with 19 grams of protein, just 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. Perfect. Perfect little snack. Perfect post-workout snack. Maybe pre-workout snack. Maybe just you're hungry halfway through between a meal, and you don't want to admit it to yourself, but you have to eat. You just have to throw something in there. Make it a Built Bar. While supplies last, right now, Built Bar is also giving away a free cooler. Perfect Perfect for the valley, because even when it's cold, we know it's still sunny, and the sun will do a number on chocolate for sure, so a cooler is perfect for Suns fans. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, that is all one word, the name of our network, of course, and you will get 20% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Let's close out the show with a few recurring segments that I am hoping I cannot remember. We'll have to see. But first, I wanted to tell you guys, drop me your mailbag questions. Go to the Suns subreddit if you're a Reddit user. Go to at LockedOnPHXSuns on Twitter. If you are on Twitter, leave me a review on the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you listen there, drop your question in. However you want to give me a question, I want to answer it. And that will be tomorrow's show. Check out the show. Leave your questions. Let's have some fun. Okay, not a natural fit for Bridges to defend Fox. The Suns have trouble with Fox over the past two years because they don't have a a guy who's quite quite a great quick matchup for him. Carter's a little too small. Paul's, you know, maybe in his prime could have done it, but is is kind of avoiding those types of matchups. He said so. Defensively was the the highlight on Saturday, but Sunday is where we really saw Bridges, uh, the breakout watch, be magnified here. 22 points, 9 of 15 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3. He's He has a quick trigger right now in a way that I don't think he's had from deep at any point in his career. We, we know the, the deal with the hitch. We know the deal with his progression over the course of last season. But he did finish the year last season as a 40% three-point shooter. If we expect it to continue that he's at least uh, an average or above average, slightly above average three-point shooter and the volume goes up, that's very good news for the Suns team and that's just what's happening. But besides that, we've also seen Monty finally go back to what he said would happen during the preseason, which is Mikhail running more pick and roll. So we saw a lot of possessions where there would be a dribble handoff from Aiton to Bridges followed by a, right into a pick and roll or you know, reverse the ball to Bridges, and then he gets, you know, a screen for Maiden from the wing and then goes into a mid-range. He can create space for himself because of his length, and so if he can get comfortable with the ball in his hands, you know, clean up his handle and just feel those reps navigating the pick and roll, he's really good at snaking it like Paul and Booker do where he cuts back in front of the of the roll man. In most cases, that's Aiton, and gets to that mid-range where he was really, really smooth at Villanova and just hasn't done it so much. As a son, if that becomes more of a steady diet, that's just one more weapon for this son's offense. So Bridges' breakout watch is uh, still alive and well, going very nicely. We're also going to do how many free throws did DeAndre Ayton take in this game. On Saturday, it's pretty nice. Five, again. I think he took six in the opener, five in the second game. Very promising, but he followed that up with an egg on Sunday. Just, well, not even just, zero total 
free throw attempts on Sunday. Just a game that was much more played on the perimeter by both teams. Whiteside hardly played. Bagley was more jumper-oriented in his offensive diet. Uh, just a, a little bit of a different contest, but you still you want Aiton to be the one in, you know flexing and, and enforcing his will onto the game, and that just did not happen. Uh, it wasn't even that he was taking too many jumpers on Sunday. He just really was not involved in the offense outside of some fourth-quarter pick-and-roll stuff with, with Paul that got him up past double-digit points, but uh, not, 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 not great news on Aiton's part when it comes to the physicality on Sunday night. The other one I wanted to do is uh, something that I kept track of on Twitter, and it's how many post-up defensive kills did, did Chris Paul get. And by kill, I just mean that the possession uh, ended in a missed shot because of Paul's defense in the post on switches. And he did it twice just on Saturday. Uh, that's just a weapon. I, you know, we've I, at least I feel like the Suns have switched a little bit more defensively. Maybe it's because the Kings are kind of a unique physical team and that they kind of have size at every position or at least some sort of physical advantage between their bigs being so athletic, Deer and Fox being so fast, Buddy Heel being so big and strong, same with Harrison Barnes. Maybe that's what it was, but with Paul being able to switch the way that he can, we know DeAndre Ayton can switch, and the other three guys on the floor most of the time are pretty interchangeable. Uh, Paul's defense there is, is pretty important and I think could help them especially in crunch time be able to feel more comfortable switching not a huge deal but it's just fun to watch when Paul just stuffs Harrison Barnes in the post even though he's giving up like eight inches in that matchup uh let's again guys at locked on PHX Suns if you have any more suggestions for consistent uh segments here or bits that we can do every single recap show I'm going to give you guys a play-by-play breakdown of kind of what happened in the most important moments. I'm going to give you what I liked, the big stories, but if there's any little stuff you notice, it's fun to keep track of over the course of the season, especially on a competitive team. So let's do it. Send me your best ones. Until then, I will be back on Tuesday with another one of those recap shows, but um, or on Wednesday, rather. It'll go late Tuesday night, but Tuesday morning's show will be a mailbag. As I said, I already asked on Reddit, so there's a thread there if you guys use the Sun subreddit. Otherwise, Twitter, Apple Podcasts Review, find my Twitter, find my email, whatever suits you. Get me your questions, and I will answer all of them for Tuesday's show, and I will talk to you then.